0: So, Danny. Yes? When did you peak?
1: I haven't peaked. Have you peaked? Yeah. Oh. When did you peak?
0: Last time we recorded our podcast.
1: So, you're saying this won't be as good as last week? <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Horror Fort Podcast. I'm Stephanie.
1: And I'm Danny.
0: And last episode, uh, we discussed Children of the Corn, and we got some pretty good feedback from our listeners, you you guys out there. Um, you all got to hear my amazingly tone-deaf singing of you two, so thank you, Danny, for that.
1: Hey, you know, that's what I'm here for, you know. You told me not to do something, so therefore I'm just going to do it, so.
0: He's here to embarrass me. It's cool.
1: It's all right. You were trying to embarrass me, but... Implying that I touched children and stuff. So
0: <laughs> the fact that I labeled you a pedophile is no comparison. So I,
1: I feel as though inserting your singing there was more than okay.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, another funny story is uh, my mom actually listens to this podcast and uh, her feedback. What was,
1: what was her reaction to it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was at her house and uh, she was like, Well, Stephanie. I liked it, but you say the F word a little too much. (laughs) So, so, um, I suppose this is a shout out to my mom and her general concern for the usage of F bombs being dropped in this podcast. Um, We do have an explicit rating. So, just as a reminder, we do have that for anyone who is concerned about that. Because generally,
1: I don't fucking care. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I guess a few fucks are bound to slip in. So I
1: mean, if we're discussing uh, films that carry that explicit rating, as in like you know the R rating from the MPAA, you can bet your bet your ass that I'm going to be dropping some f bombs here and there. So
0: some fuck bombs.
1: Yes, fuck bombs.
0: So <laughs> that, that would translate to if you're actually not saying f bombs, if you're just saying fuck, like fuck bombs. Fuck bombs. I don't know what fuck bombs are, but that sounds a little
1: fiddle faddles
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh anyway um so anyway everyone thanks for tuning in thanks for listening to uh what i thought was kind of a rocky beginners episode of our podcast
1: yeah Um, i agree it was a bit rough and uh partially that falls back on me in terms of when we were recording the episode i for some reason made a rookie error and didn't check the uh bit sampling of the of the zoom that we're recording in and it didn't match what i'm using on my microphone so things got a little out of whack in terms of syncing so there were slight echoing issues here and there but hopefully i have that solved for this week
0: god you're such a rookie
1: it was my first episode what an outlander i'm a video guy okay i don't what know an audio outlander. i know i am i am an outlander i am very much in a different world when it comes to audio production so
0: i i also think that it was just really hard to dive into that movie anyway um because it was a movie that we neither one of us really found compelling and it was really
1: bad and it was really just a, it felt like a chore just to kind of sit there sit there and record all that and
0: yeah it was it was hard guys it was really hard to do this um that's what I don't she know. said <laughs> It's going to be an episode of that's what she said uh, I think we spent a majority of the episode just making jokes and ripping it apart um, But uh, again silver lining um, as we discuss different movies I think we'll get into the details a little bit more And Yeah
1: it's, you know this is all very much a learning experience for us And how we can interact with you and make the show itself better So, any feedback we get from you guys, it's great. It goes straight into helping us make it better.
0: That's true. That's true. We don't take mean comments to heart either, except for Danny, who cries in the corner when he gets a mean comment. So, just try to be nice. (laughs) I don't do that. (laughs) So, today we're discussing a pretty recent movie. Uh, It's still out in theaters as we record this. So, let's get started on our discussion of Crimson Peak. Danny, do you want to... Read the synopsis.
1: Absolutely. The synopsis for Crimson Peak is, After marrying the charming and seductive Sir Thomas Sharp, young Edith, played by Mia Wazakowska, finds herself swept away to his remote gothic mansion in the English Hills. Also living there is Lady Lucille, Thomas's alluring sister, protector of her family's dark secrets. Able to communicate with the dead, Edith tries to decipher the mystery behind the ghostly visions that haunt her new home. As she comes closer to the truth, Edith may learn that true monsters are made of flesh and blood. Ooh.
0: Ooh, flesh and blood.
1: So, Stephanie, what did you think of Crimson Peak?
0: Overall, I really liked the movie. Um, I saw it twice in theaters. Uh, I found the entire plot to just really be both heartbreaking and haunting. Um, I thought it was very well put together with the symbolism in terms of um, the situational symbolism that it encompassed. Um, and I, I really loved the costuming and the set design in this movie. I think it was really beautifully shot. And I think that the parallels of um, putting the two different scenes, both um, in Edith's home country, America, um, Buffalo, New York, and then also the um, Allerdale Hall, I thought... Um, That was really well put together just with the parallels of the different costuming and set design um, and trying to embody those emotions and and what the movie was trying to convey with those things. I didn't like uh, Edith's character seemed to kind of, Edith's character seemed weak as a whole and I think that some of the plot felt forced at times and those were my two complaints about it. Um, But other than that, I really enjoyed it.
1: I agree with a lot of what you said. The film was a great throwback to the classic uh, haunted house horror films from the 50s. And it also mixes well with it being a timepiece of the Victorian era. And just those two just meshed so well together that the setting, uh, it was, like you said, beautifully shot. I mean, everything just looked great. A lot of my issues with the film uh, deal with a lot of the plot. Uh, at times it just feels like the characters are just kind of muddling their way through it rather than living it And there's a lot of, not a lot of, a few conveniences that kind of hurt the overall story arc for everyone But, I mean, overall, I mean, it's a it's a great return to form for Garamo in terms of storytelling for me Because I felt Pacific Room was a bit of a letdown on the storytelling front But, you know, it was great in the, you know, robots versus monsters aspect of it But that's not this podcast.
0: (laughs) That is a different podcast that Danny will be starting on his own without me because I did not see Pacific Rim.
1: No, I don't plan on that movie's not good enough for me to do a podcast on, so. Oh. Insert hate mail here from all (laughs) commenters. (laughs) Anyway, I guess at this point, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and throw out a spoiler tag.
0: Spoilers!
1: Uh, from this point on we'll be discussing plots and details of the film So if you wished not to be spoiled pause the show go see the movie come back and continue listening to us Otherwise if you don't care. Hey, let's your call. Welcome back. Now. Let's go on
0: You want to be spoiled. Everyone wants to be spoiled
1: Well, yeah, I mean I think that's everyone's dream. I, I mean I wish I were spoiled but I'm not
0: uh, so we're talking about the likes
1: Yeah, well, I guess we'll go ahead and start out with the things that we enjoyed about the film because uh, there are far more positives Yeah to the film than the negatives i would agree um obviously we've already hit up on the uh victorian setting and just the costume and sets so stephanie why don't you go and uh, take off on that and like what are some of the things that you really liked about the costuming and the set design
0: um so the costuming was in my opinion phenomenal it was every single outfit that was worn Um, was spot on. I thought everything had such great texture. It was rich. I mean, there was even a time in the movie where um, Edith was at home and her father and Dr. Allen were going to go out to a party, uh, hosted, I think, by um, the woman that Thomas Sharp was supposed to be seeing at that point. It was a big ball, a big dance party yeah
1: like a big gala event
0: (laughs) victorian (laughs) dance parties this is what they look like um but so they were they were on their way to go out and edith didn't go with them but she was wearing this amazing robe it was like this crazy velvet robe with these puff sleeves and um all this detailing and it just looked amazing and i was like why don't i have a robe like that Um, But I was I was honestly so distracted by it that I was like, what is going on? She's not going where? And I I, like it's good that I saw this movie twice because I missed certain things because I was so focused on the costuming the first time around that I missed key points in the movie that were like the acting. Like I missed the acting because I was like, what is that dress? What are that? What are those shoes? Like, what's that robe? Like, it was just a lot of me not paying attention and more or less paying attention to the costuming. Um, But I thought that it was really beautiful. Um, But another thing I really enjoyed and specifically was the set design. Um, I I think they do a really great job contrasting the two settings um, as I said a little earlier but also um, playing into the costuming with that. So, you know, when they're in New York, the sets are Warm, They're autumnal. They're, um, they're more like family oriented. It's very like you feel like you're it's in It's very welcoming. S- yeah. You feel like you're in a social setting. You feel like happy. Yeah. Everyone's sort of like warm and smiley and happy. Everyone's really warm there. And then you also have Lucille Sharp who makes her way into this plot. And she's contrasting with bright red clothing and like really sharp taffeta looking outfits that are that don't really fit the scene like you can tell she doesn't really belong and i think that that's important to note when they're at the ball and everyone's sort of wearing like pinks and pearls and like coattails and tuxes and everyone's kind of in like a pale neutral toned setting and she's wearing this like bright maroon dress which just really touches on you know, the symbolism of, you know, crimson peak. It's, she's wearing the ring, the crimson ring. She's wearing the crimson taffeta stiff outfit. She just looks very, I mean, she looks beautiful, but she looks a little out of place and her, you know, facial features and the acting, the acting of um, Jessica Chastain was just really, I think really helped that really helped set that tone of like, who is this woman? She doesn't seem all there in the head. So, um, so, you know, starting in that with New York and so the and again, you know, just warm autumnal setting. Um, and then when Edith and Thomas go back to Allerdale Hall, it's very, there's rich colors there, but it's worn over time. It's faded. Um, there's a lot of cooler tones. There's blues, there's green, the green bathroom. There's an emerald green bathroom. Everything's a little bit dark and um i almost want to say dirty from the elements because it just didn't it seemed like it was like not kept like it is a, a little bit of an ab- abandonment sort of if you will so it just kind of set the emotion for isolation instead of socialization
1: that's a great way of putting that yeah i have nothing out of that that's spot on you've left me speechless <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. So, Architectural Digest had an article uh, regarding the set of Allerdale Hall. Um, Tom Sanders was the production designer for the movie. And there was a quote that really struck me. Um, and he says, The whole house is designed and built in layers. I felt I could bring the history of the family into each layer and show how each generation changed what the previous one had done. And I found that really interesting because right away when you see this enormous mansion... You see what it once was. So like the scene where Edith walks into the foyer, um, you're kind of enveloped in the massiveness of it. And you feel small and you feel alone. And it immediately feels sort of spooky. But it also feels extravagant. It also feels like you can see what it once was before Um, The Sharp siblings, you know, took hold of it and turned into clay mining headquarters. And before it was hard to keep up with and before the roof caved in, you can kind of get a sense for the extravagance of this mansion and, you know, how the family lived historically in that mansion. So I I think that that he did a really good job making that kind of with the layers that he said, you know, making that. It's like when you walk into a house that you want to buy and it's not exactly how you want it. And it's a little like, "Uh, it's not really my thing, but you can see what it once was. Like if you're restoring something, but you can see what you want to do to it. So it's sort of it's sort of that same feeling only with, you know, the contrast between spooky isolation and a family that has rich extravagance. So with this mansion being isolated And with cool colors and the set design being kind of haunting and big. There's also this really big contrast between that and the red clay that they're mining in this house. And how it's increasingly throughout the movie sort of seeping over the walls. It's like you you walk on the floor.
1: It's like the the house is bleeding. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's a great motif to add to what and adds this logical aesthetic to this crazy house that is just insane. It's it's awesome. I don't I don't know how else to put it. It's
0: yeah. It's like the house is alive.
1: Yeah, like it's it's a like it's a breathing living organism, which is fascinating.
0: That's also a very classic horror movie thing for haunted house. You know, if it's a house, it's encompassing the spirit of who what is haunting it. And it becomes alive, um, but I think in this case it sort of makes it like its history keeps it alive. It's not necessarily the ghosts in the house that keep it alive. It's the history. It's a combination of the past and what the the siblings have now done to the house and how it's deteriorated. Um, it's a deterioration of I, I want to say even familial like respect. Like there's no they had that you know they they killed their mom. Like there's no. <laughs> There's no respect for, like, family tradition, family history. The only thing they have is each other. And they've sort of chopped up what they once had and destroyed it. And now that's showing in the house that, you know, again, used to be an extravagant house. It used to be, you know, obviously these guys weren't weren't bad off. Like, this is a huge, amazing McMansion, you know. And now that it's sinking into the clay... The walls are, quote-unquote, bleeding with this clay and they're trying to get rich off of this idea. And they're trying to maintain their extravagant lifestyle even though they've sort of destroyed it themselves.
1: Another thing that really added to the fact that this house was kind of a living, breathing entity within this world was the sound design. And uh, I recently just read an interview in Post Magazine uh, about, or with randy tom the sound designer from the film and you know he talked a lot about how uh guillermo really wanted it to sound organic real and just completely terrifying uh one of the quotes from the article is you know the house had to sound like a living thing a very unhappy living thing and we wanted to went to extraordinary lengths to make that happen including collecting thousands of recordings of winds moaning through structures various kinds of structures like creaking wood structures and, you know, and all that stuff was just fascinating how in depth they went with this and also with you know the ghosts that inhabit the house you know they really wanted to make those seem terrifying and they did a pretty good job with it i mean uh, they recorded just sounds of people in the office breathing like their kids breathing when they got sick they brought them back in get sounds of some wheezing and all that stuff just to kind of layer it all in and that added detail really shows in the final mix it's pretty fascinating all the work that went into that
0: wow i didn't know that about um the sound i had no idea i didn't even think of that as part of the um set but it it really does add to the set it adds to the house itself and um, in making that and really achieving that um, living, breathing type of entity feeling. I also wanted to say it really earned its R rating, I think, with the violence.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's a just a great thing to have in a film like this. Because how brutal was it seeing Edith's father getting his head bashed in the corner of that porcelain sink over and over and over to the point where it breaks off. And you actually see his head like caved in and like the insides of his skull. I mean, it was, I liked it. It was brutal. It, you felt every hit. It wasn't done with the computer. You know, it was done with puppets and other means probably with a little of CG just to hide all that trickery, which is exactly the way you would want to use it in that scenario. And it, you can tell it's, it has weight and it looks amazing.
0: Yeah. I thought that that scene was incredible. Um, I was not expecting that either because it's you've set up this movie that's set in the Victorian era and it's very like, you know, she's walking through this Edith's walking through the street and there's like this lighthearted little like background music, like
1: going to the market, like that kind of
0: like whatever. And just there's no there's no telling of that kind of thing happening. And I really like that it just kind of came out of nowhere. It ha- I mean, the first time that I saw it, I I think I audibly and I don't talk in theaters, but I audibly said, "Like oh, like, just <laughs> I just I just didn't expect it. But I really enjoyed it. I think that that kind of um, brutality really needs to show itself in these types of movies that are more mystery and old school based and not necessarily based on gore or um, Like horrific violence. They're more or less based in mystery. Or or
1: like jump scares. Right. Or anything like that. Right. Uh yeah, because it it definitely kind of sets the tone for the events that will follow that. Because the film is leading up to that point, it's pretty tame for the most part. I think there may have been one maybe one like ghost encountering, but you know, there's nothing graphic about that. It was just more of a tense scenario. But at this point in the film, this happens, this is kind of the chain of events that sets the rest of everything in motion so it sets that tone and it sets the bar right there
0: it it takes a more ominous turn because it's so normally it's a very normal movie up until that point and then as soon as that murder occurs you know it goes straight into edith marrying thomas them going to the funeral her moving all of her stuff To England, and it just then it starts off with Allerdale Hall, and you're just like, it just that's right. That's the turn of events. I think it really is a good segue from, you know, the warm social environment of Buffalo, New York, that she was in before, to Allerdale Hall in England, where it's dark and you're alone, and it really sets that tone for being alone. Because I mean, she didn't. Her father was all she had, and you know, as soon as he's gone, now she's kind of thrown, she's really like pushed into this world of, you know, hi, you're in a haunted house now, figure it out. And it's, it's, it's kind of hard to watch when she first walks in, because it's like, oh, you, this is what you traded your life for. Like, this is what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, it kind of solidified her decision to run off with uh, Thomas in this scenario, because great it she was planning on doing it anyway, but once she found out of her dad's murder, then that kind of propelled her to leave everything and go over to England. So it, it really it really is that uh, initial stimulus that propels her to go on down and live through the following events that will happen in the film. Another thing I want to point out real quick is it was really great to see Charlie Hunnam playing something other than Jax Teller.
0: I love Charlie Hunnam so much. I love And him. he is
1: by far my favorite thing about this movie. Mine too. He's my
0: favorite character. The two my two favorite characters are not even main characters. It's Charlie Hunnam playing Dr. Alan McMichael. And it's Jim Beaver playing Edith's father.
1: Oh, and I love Jim Beaver. I know, love him from Supernatural. And last saw him in this movie, I got all giddy inside.
0: Such it's such great casting for that, and I just I really enjoyed both of those guys' roles, um, even if they're not like the prominent main roles. I think that they were like the best roles in this film. I, I the, both of them.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, and a lot of times with Guillermo's films. Uh, and this is something that I really respect about film. some filmmakers that are able to do this. They don't necessarily cast the most famous people for roles. They cast the best actors for roles. And that's something that's very apparent with most of the roles in this film. Not all of them. We'll go into the ones that I'm speaking of when we're talking about things we don't like about the movie. But for right now, we're all happy.
0: So speaking or, of that... Or
1: do you want to transition <laughs> to the... Uh, you wanna to transition to the things we don't like now?
0: Yeah, let's go to the dislikes.
1: Okay, I, I do not like Mia Wazakowska at all in this movie. Like Agreed. At all. Like, she's
0: she, a really weak character.
1: Like she she's the uh she's our way into the story. And her arc in this film, if you can even call it an arc, I don't think she grows really at all as in character at all. Uh, but it's she's really naive and her story is about her being naive and not necessarily knowing about life at Mm -hmm. all
0: but i think you have to like dislike her character in order to make this work because i mean like i agree with you I, i don't really like her character i don't think it's i think she's a very weak character but also i think if she was a stronger character that this entire plot wouldn't work none of it would work I think if she was way more conscious of what... Had more of a conscience of what she was doing and if she was very self-sufficient or independent, she would... And not as naive. She would not react the same way that she does in this movie. So I think think in terms of liking or not liking, I don't like her. But I think that her role works for the sake of the film.
1: Yeah, and that kind of leads me into just... The few script conveniences, like her character, her character as a whole is very much a huge convenience for the script.
0: Exactly.
1: Like you said, if without her it wouldn't work, and it just, it's sad that they had to write such a poor character to make this work because they had could to have rely
0: been, on her weaknesses in order to make this a, a worthwhile film.
1: Because it could have been such a such a better movie if they would have just made her that strong character that you think she's going to be within the first few minutes when she's bringing her book to the publisher and she's you know she's exuding this you know confidence her intelligence you know being above the standard of what women were at that time and then she just immediately just dive bombs down to just being a worthless person
0: yeah and it all comes about when she meets thomas sharp and it's very strange because her character is really great in the beginning you know she wants to be published she has these thoughts she doesn't really care about dating people she doesn't really care about anything frivolous like her you know uh, other women that are socializing with her are more concerned about men and their money and balls and parties and dresses and position and social status in life and she's more concerned with publishing a ghost story which I thought, I was like, this girl's going to be awesome. This girl's going to be a super awesome character. And then as soon as she meets Thomas Sharp, it's just, she's not, it's very strange to see that because she's not above it, you know? She plays this role of being like, I'm above all of that and that's frivolous. And then she comes to this party with him and you look at her and you're just like, whatever. It's almost like, bitch, please. <laughs> you're not above it. You're, you're not wearing pearls anything. on your shoulder. You're wearing a satin dress with pearls. Shut up. Just shut up.
1: It's very true. And when we touch on Tom a bit real quick, I like Tom Hiddleston as an actor. Yes. Obviously of, you know, Marvel's cinematic universe playing Loki, being the only good villain in that entire universe. Uh, I feel like he's only in this movie because he has an English accent.
0: Really? See, I didn't mind his casting. In like, it. like
1: he, he's very, he's very uh, suited for the for the role. I
0: agree with that. But
1: I feel like it could be could have been played by anyone huh. with an like English he's generic? accent. Like, he doesn't add anything to it. Like in the way you would want him to. I feel like he's a bit subdued. He's just there like you didn't put a stamp on it.
0: I agree there wasn't really anything that made him unique. It's I feel like the role of the soft-hearted, you know, I guess not really soft-hearted portrayed as a soft-hearted, romantic British man turned creepy is like a, it's like the problem isn't really him as 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 the cast, it's the character itself. There's nothing special about a rich mansion dude from Britain that, you know, in Victorian era. Like, his name's Thomas Sharp. Like, that is the most generic name ever. Everything about men, not to be, like, (laughs) everything about men at that time was generic. Everything about everyone at that time was super generic. You had a title and land and you courted someone and then you married them and it was just... It, the whole thing is a mundane, generic situation anyway. I don't really think that you can blame him not putting a... There is no stamp to place. Like, the, where, what? What is he supposed to do? He's a poor rich boy from, you know, England, trying to get rich quick. That was his stamp. But I think he did a good job of that. I think he did a good job of being kind of weaselly because he was charming, but at the same time that he was being charming, you're also kind of like, well, you're kind of a creep.
1: I guess I just feel like he's... good enough of an actor to be able to elevate kind of mundane and generic material and he really doesn't do that here
0: Um, I think out of all three of the main characters, Jessica Chastain did an amazing job with Lucille. It was very
1: much something that you have not seen from her before. And that's what I really liked about it. Yeah, it
0: was very, I never expected that. And in fact, that casting didn't really, I was not, I was very surprised by that. I didn't really see that coming. Um, in fact, when I first saw the movie, I didn't even realize that that was Jessica Chastain. I had to like, look it up. I was like, who is that? Does she play in Salem? Like, is she one of those creepy dark haired women that play? In like every creepy TV show that's on right now, and I'm like, no, she has a different face. What's going on? And I was like, oh my god, it just, I just, it, I didn't really realize that it was her until I really confirmed it. Um, but I think she does a good job of playing crazy and also playing wicked and cunning at the same time. It's she's she's able to. I think that Lucille is a very complicated character. I think she's the most complicated character out of everyone. In this movie, and you know, you don't know her story. Like, she you can say on surface value that she's crazy, she killed her parents. She tells these crazy, outlandish stories to Edith while she's there about like when she when Edith is sick and she's feeding her in bed. Um, and, and she's talking, poisoning her, yeah, poisoning her via the oatmeal rather than the tea this time because she's she sneaky. caught on the tea. She's a sneaky bitch that way. <laughs> Anyway, she but she's telling her these stories like how her dad hated her mom and broke her leg and she cared for her mom in this bed. Just like all these contradicting stories about how her mom was terrible and, you know, that but that she still loved her. And it just shows all of these different facets to her character that you don't really know. Like all you really know is that she's kind of crazy And as you as the movie goes on and on, you see how that happens. And you see that she's kind of the wickedness behind this get rich quick situation um, where she's basically marrying her brother off to make money off of these women and then killing these women. So it's hard because part of me really hates wants to hate her like. Oh, you're being a terrible person. You're cheating everyone out of their inheritance, and you're killing them, and this is terrible. But the other part of me really doesn't find her as much of a supervillain as I want to.
1: You're kind of sympathetic towards it, yeah, while also being despised by it, and that's that's kind of a trend nowadays with like having sympathetic villains. Like you see their viewpoint on what's happening, you may not agree with it, but I mean you sympathize with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that I think that's a really hard role to play. I think it's hard to sympathize with a villain that's that crazy and also playing her dark and twisty, you know. She brings the same elements of the house to her character. Yeah, she embodies
1: that kind of uh, just the the gut-wrenching, just soulless, just, you know, relentless force that is the house.
0: Exactly, and I I just don't think that that's an easy role to play, so I was pretty impressed with that.
1: Yeah, let's talk about one layer of that relationship between her and her brother that i'm still not 100 percent on board with is the fact that they're kind of an item I don't yeah know. The, well it's based... mainly just because it it very much threw me for a loop at the end of the film when that came to light <laughs>
0: yeah you know what throughout the movie i kept thinking like when she's when edith was discovering more and more about this you know oh he's marrying these women and murdering them and taking their money um, situation as I didn't really even th- I think that th- I thought that they were playing brother and sister. I thought it was, oh, like actually Lucille is his first wife. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of where my my head was at when I first saw it. I thought, oh, they're gonna she's gonna find out that Lucille's the first wife, and that. They're this, like, Mr. and Mrs. Smith in Victorian times kind of couple that are basically just robbing people of their money through these schemes. But when you actually find out that they are brother and sister, then I was like, oh, wait, you mean they are actually brother and sister? Because even Edith is like, oh, my God. Like, she thought that, you know, oh, you guys are not actually brother and sister. And then Lucille's Mm -hmm. like, no, that's the thing. We are. And then, like, pushes her off the balcony. Yeah, it's it brings something very uncomfortable into a time period where that wasn't really something that was discussed. I don't think like,
1: I don't think it was
0: incest wasn't a thing that was discussed. It's a very, I don't know. It's, it's a really uncomfortable subject to bring into a movie like this. And it just adds another layer to them that I, I mean, there's, I don't know if it's hmm. completely
1: necessary to have it though,
0: but I think that's why that, why she murdered her mom.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the only, that's probably the reason why it's there.
0: But she could have, they like the plot could have been just as good without it. You could have mm-hmm. just been like, oh, she's crazy and killed her mom, you know, and their brother and sister. But the incest itself, like that, doesn't add anything to the plot. It doesn't add anything to like. There's no reason for that to occur.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: But that's kind of a lot of the things that I dislike about this movie is that there's random pieces of the plot that you don't really understand. And then if you took them out, it would be fine. Like you don't really need them. It just seemed that um, I think the main flaw that I've seen that critics seem to touch on is that the plot is sort of contrived. Um, It goes through a few hoops and then it settles on like this final plot that's sort of thrown together with these weird pieces, like what we were saying, the incest factor. Like that doesn't really need to be added. It doesn't really do anything. Edith was going to discover what they were doing anyway Mm -hmm. without her discovering them making out in Lucille's bedroom. Like it just there's nothing you could have literally taken every single piece of that storyline out and it would have done absolutely nothing to the plot. It wouldn't have changed it at all. So there's that there's like um, the twists are like they're they're like man-made twists they're not organic. They're they're kind of forced and it's obvious that they're forced
1: agreed yeah I, com- I completely agree with all of that yeah you can literally cut all that stuff out at the end of the film because let's be honest it for the most part happens at the end of the film which just kind of makes the climax everything really convoluted and uh just kind of what <laughs> uh but one thing about the climax that kind of bothered me uh was when they're down in the uh i don't know what you would call it it was the room with like the big wells of clay
0: like the clay reservoir the clay
1: reservoir thank you and
0: clay cellar
1: yeah i almost I said that know. but i didn't know that would be the right i guess
0: it would be a cellar
1: it's it's below the house so you take an elevator down to it
0: i would just call it the cellar but clay cellar
1: but anyway, Edith is down there with uh, Charlie Hunnam's character and Jessica Chastain chased him down there. Uh, Edith left a knife on top of one of the reservoirs and the clear view of Lucille reaches up and grabs the knife in front of Lucille, but Lucille didn't see her, even though she's looking right at her. It's just one of those, like the, Some of the character blocking, particularly in that room, just did not make sense. Like, what are you doing? Like, nothing, it just didn't make logistic sense to me. The way they blocked it out and they yeah. portrayed it, because there's that scenario, and then there's the part when Edith does come out, and I believe this is when Lucille is like digging out the old, the old, uh, was it the the cleaver,
0: the cleaver she buried that, that she buried she... in the floorboard,
1: yeah. And rather than like I don't know running away or attacking her or something while she's doing that, she just stands there and watches her pull it out for script convenience for yeah. adding a. Uh, tension, but it doesn't add any tension whatsoever because we can see the logic loop holes within this.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's a a major flaw in a lot of horror movies is there is the logical sequence is left out. Like, there's so many horror movies where you're just like, don't go into the dark room. Don't say, hello, is anyone there? Don't go back into the house where the serial killer is. Like, there's a lot of a lot of times where you're looking at a movie and you're like what are you doing that's stupid no one would do that that makes no sense but it is all for script convenience and it otherwise without that there wouldn't be a fight sequence like of course she could just run up to to you know Lucille and stab her with a knife or try to fight her while she's has her guard down but then then the conflict out where um the clay mining machinery is like wouldn't have taken place and that awesome shovel to the face scene would have never happened so i yeah like it is script convenience but i mean i feel like that's a very common mistake with a lot of horror movies i
1: agree it's just they didn't do a very good job of trying to
0: they didn't do a good job masking it. Like
1: masking it yeah. to make it not seem so obvious. Yeah, I agree. I mean it was a big lead to the shovel to the face with ghost that uh shovel to the face was great. Though. Ghost Tom Hiddleston standing there like, Oh hey, I'm just gonna watch you do this to yeah. my sister.
0: Okay, so talking about Thomas Sharp, his character. I mean Tom Hiddleston <laughs> his The Toms, the conflict of the Toms. The conflict
1: of the Toms.
0: Talking to Tom. Okay, so his character, it's... I have a lot of problems with his character towards the end. Um, I really didn't like, um, again, a plot twist. He sort of plays tug of war with his affection for Edith. He goes over... I mean, they have like a, a consummate their marriage moment, but all the while he's helping his sister like kill her with poison Then he tells her not to drink the tea because she poisons the tea. But then he, you know, is making out with his sister. And then, you know, she discovers it. You know, he's like, I'm sorry. And I love you. It's just all this, like, he walks this line of whether or not he's a good, good guy or a bad guy. You know, he's a murderer one minute. And then the next minute he's helping Edith. And then he's making out again with his sister. And then he's on Edith's side. And then he helps Dr. Allen escape. It's just he's always back and forth and you just never know with him. And I I know that that's like part of his like choice conflict. Like he's not the one that's the puppet master. He's like being played constantly by his sister. But it just, I don't know. I think that the back and forth is too much and it makes it way more confusing than it needs to be. And I think that the plot suffers because of that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and all the way up to the point to where he dies by the hands of his sister i mean he dies teetering that line like he's not on one or one or the other you know the the moment before that happened it's you know the three of us could you know start a news somewhere not you yeah. and i or he never makes a decision like he never he would never make the decision
0: which makes him a weak character in my eyes and makes me not respect him at all Not in the situation of, like, if he was a murderer, if he was on his sister's side, you at least have a defined line of, like, you're a bad guy. And I don't like that you're a bad guy, but you don't have a lack of, like, life and personal respect for a person. Like, you just, I don't like that he is such a weak person that he can't make a decision. Because that's, I mean, indecisiveness is just the bane of everything. It's awful. It's annoying. So he's not only, like, a good guy, he's not even he's not a good guy and he's not a bad guy he's just he's just annoying
1: he's just there he exists within the movie yeah to you know spark certain not necessarily plot points but to spark certain actions for other people to do like agreed he's a living breathing stimuli or stimulus whatever you want to use i don't care
0: no that makes a lot of sense um, his death scene is amazing though. Yeah. <laughs> that I've, n- that was really unique. I have not seen that before where she stabs him in the face.
1: In the face. And it's
0: like, what? Like at first you're like, how does that kill you? But then you realize how deep,
1: how deep it went. Cause he knife. pulls it out. <laughs> and it's
0: like, that's in your brain, buddy. Like yeah. you're dead. That's crazy. I have never seen that in a horror movie. Honestly, I've never seen someone die from like a pen knife to the like. Through the cheekbone. Sinus basically. Yeah.
1: It was crazy. Because
0: it was like the sinus cavity.
1: Yeah, it was like, yeah, right right at the top of your cheekbone through the yeah. sinus cavity.
0: Right below the eye. That's crazy. So I thought that, again, that was another tip of the hat to the
1: it interesting for, death scenes. It did make for a wicked ghost to appear at the end. Yeah, that's true. For him to watch his sister be flattened with a shovel.
0: God, that was such a good hit to the face. I will repeat that over and over. It made such a nice sound, too. It's very, yeah. It was so satisfying to see that. You're just like, Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was one of those, like, make sure you double tap that bitch. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> double
0: tap. Oh, it's so good. Right. Um, uh, That's all I have.
1: All right, well, let's... Uh, shall we rate? Shall oh, we? We, you
0: guys, we implemented a rating system to... Um, to our, our episodes now because we didn't we didn't rate we didn't children with the corn you know it doesn't deserve a rating doesn't
1: really deserve a rating but i mean this is something that we felt that we should probably start doing offer you guys a rating like on term in terms of like did we obviously do we like it dislike it or if we would recommend it
0: so rating system i would give this an overall four out of five campfires see i'm gonna
1: go with a three and a half out of five Campfires.
0: Danny's more judgmental than me.
1: Just because I, I feel like, while the positives do very much outweigh the negatives, um, in that you know it very much is an enjoyable throwback to the haunted house, you know horror films. You know the characters just sometimes muddle through the plot and the script, and that's very unfortunate because you know, you know it's being this film is being portrayed in such a beautiful manner using you know modern storytelling techniques. You know the ghosts look amazing in this film. It just sucks that it's taken down a few points by the human element.
0: See, and for me, I give it four out of five because the characters themselves to me are a backdrop to the entire story because I think there's so much symbolism involved in, in just like the sets and the costuming and just the way it was portrayed without the the characters um, speaking, without their acting, without that kind of thing that I... I think it makes up for that I think it makes up for the flaws that are really obvious in some of the some of the characters but you know like there yeah everything like I had said before the costuming and the symbolism I just think it's so cleverly and like heavily filled with symbolism that I mean we didn't even touch on half the symbolism but we'll, we would be here forever we'd be here for hours so mm-hmm. you know it's I think that that makes it up for me I would have normally rated it probably like a three, but I just, I think that it's so well done otherwise besides that small element. And I think that they overshadow that element. They overshadow, it overshadows the characters and the acting itself, just all the symbolism that is in that. And, you know, the sets and the costumes and the sound, all of it itself is just so phenomenal that it doesn't even matter if the actors are shit. Not like it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because it's already like, it sets a tone that you can't get rid of regardless of how someone's acting.
1: agree to disagree. (laughs) Characters propel story. (laughs) If you don't have good characters, you can't have a good story.
0: Whatever, whatever.
1: This has been another episode of the Horror Fort Podcast. You can find us at horrorfort.com and at Horror Fort Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I want
0: it that way. Is that her? No. Is that her her
1: button?